0: This looks chill and relaxed, and trust me, it is. It's not a lot of work. We get paid a ton of money for it. Like This is where we make primary incomes doing this podcast. So please, don't leave comments. Don't subscribe. Don't share it. Definitely don't leave a review. Don't tell anybody that this is a podcast, and don't tell them to watch. Please, honestly, just stop listening. Stop watching. Like, don't buy any of our clothes or our guns. Like, just, please don't. This podcast, this makes all the money just don't watch.
1: Tactical Distributors. Unpossible 15 gets you 15% off. Order today. Change your life. We're here, Jay, with, um, at this point, probably almost a complete adult, lifelong friend of mine. And also, <laughs> somebody that you seemingly called out on a podcast. uh yeah, they haven't done much they lately. Got a bone yeah, what has <laughs> Nights done Lately, we're going to get into that. That's episode three <laughs> of, the, of the podcast. So a very, very, very special guest today. Triple very. My man, Trey Knight. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks
2: for having me, Kevin. <laughs> man, thank you. And I, this feel, is like, I feel like I made it like when you said like when you're doing the I did a very early podcast. It was like four years ago. Yes. Right. And um, I was like, this is the new thing you had. I was like, I just want to be episode 69. You're like, all right, I'll save it for you. <laughs> and, then, and then it started to come up and I was
3: like, sure. <laughs>
1: Sixty nine. I, I don't know if I have anything else to talk about. What? I bet um so what I'm gonna say, Jay, yep. is the dozens of people listening need to buckle their seatbelt and you need to pay attention because because my man is gonna cover some ground. He's a fast talker. Yeah. That's true. He's a fast walker. Think fast. He you <laughs> stay on top. He, he has fabulous hair. Luxurious. And uh and he made us he and I both these awesome Eugene. shirts for the podcast and it's a, it's about a story um, you know S- Stoner worked with uh, Trey and his dad for the years before he died and um, Trey knows a lot about him and was fortunate enough to get to work with him and then I knew a story Trey didn't know and that's damn the Story of the Shirt so it's it's pretty exciting
0: will you tell the story on this podcast? yeah we'll tell it. All we'll right. tell that story yeah
1: so uh, anyway so right. we talked to Trey you want to cover past present and future
2: yeah i feel like it's easy it's it's helpful to me to try to break it into three categories you know what i mean and yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna jump all over the place so this is just an effort for me to try to like categorize
1: it, yeah okay? i like that right. well i want to ask a couple things first okay you have worked at knight's armament for how many years well funny
2: story i just got <laughs> we had our
1: company party the other night i
2: got my 25 year award Damn. <laughs> about 20 years too late well, at uh, age 12 probably was, was yeah. you know, so that's, you know, you're talking 40 years. Yeah. Um, and I worked, you know. 40 years. So this is, this is a good night. You want me to roll? Go. Okay. All right. So at age 12, what did Trey Knight do for Knight's Armory Company, right? Um, so my dad had a gun store. And um, during the summer, um, I would travel down there and work in a gun store, like a legit counter. Um, you know, walk up to the counter. We... We sold a lot of guns. I remember we were, you know, one of the biggest Smith & Wesson. Because if you didn't sell Smith & Wesson at the time, you weren't really in the gun business, you know. This is
1: pre-Glock for all you millennials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, like, Hank Williams Jr. used to buy his guns from us, okay? Let me just that square it okay. So all right. cool. so cool. Right. Yeah.
2: Burt Reynolds used to oh, buy <laughs> his guns. Gator. Gotcha. All right, so. Um, but, yeah, I just sell guns, you know, in the store. And, um, and then we had a shop, too. Um, but my, my summers consisted of at that time of work going with my dad every day um, to the gun store and working in an actual walk-in gun store at about 12, 13, something like that.
1: There's a lot of good lessons to, to be learned there. I mean, that's, you know, what I did as a teenager as well. Yeah.
2: It, the, the retail environment, you know what I mean? Um, and just understanding the scope of different brands. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, why does this brand have something to offer? What are you going to sell somebody? What is going to make somebody buy this over this? Because they're already there to buy a gun. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like. What are you going to sell them? And you're also sizing up a customer, yeah. um, which is I think it's like a whole for a marketing person over here. You know what I mean? That's it, it's a it's a it's something to try to understand your audience, which I th- a lot of people talk about. That's the first thing you do when you're trying to make a product is who are you trying to sell it to? Not not what are you trying to sell? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so. Um, and I know you could segue into a whole Q thing about that that would go on for like 10 minutes, but we'll just No, we're not. No, I, I, I mean, you know,
1: it, to me, I want to say this, and I want to be quiet, and I want you to roll. But we'll try to stay on task, because, yeah. I mean, you and I know we could do this for a week. Um, you know, Wayne... I want to make it interesting for the people having to listen to this shit. <laughs> well, uh, Wayne Weber was here, who who we know, a great dude and president of H&K USA for a long time, and, want you know... And I always say it, them and Knights is what inspired me to want to do guns. And he had stories. but
2: Too bad Jim shots wasn't allowed to come in and get here. To oh,
1: my it. God. that Jim Schatz was my hero.
2: It was all of our He was my we hero, kids. dude. When I would go to shoot. Doing those demos. He was uh, my hero, dude. But we, we, can't, we can't sidebar. We can't sidebar <laughs> I, I, yet. We, yeah, I, I, but we, I, I,
1: I, I mean, we all agree. And Wayne,
2: love Wayne Weber to death. Nicest dude. So glad for that part of HK and how successful they were then and everything else. It was so many times. In the industry when the right person is in the right spot. And that was definitely
1: a time period where that was yeah. cool. And, yeah, Wayne got to be there when they were just doing so much cool stuff. And him and Jim doing those demos, which we love. We talked. We can't stop. Yeah. So, anyway. All right. All right. So, so uh, I don't even talk remember about, we were. I'm talking about so, 12-year-old Trey. So, 12-year-old Trey, yeah. Knights Armour. You're in yeah. the gun store. And what yeah. else are you doing?
2: So, we, we, my dad, my father, <coughs> was shooting um, competitive pistols. Yep. And he met, um, he met all the badasses. He met all the badasses. You know what I mean? Because um, the the Navy had a team. The Secret Service had a team. All these government agencies oh, yeah. had, a, had a shooting team. So he started to meet these guys. And he was a pistol smith and owned a gun store. And um, so he was a a resource for those guys, you know what I mean? And eventually once he got to know them for a while, we've been through the whole just Dick Marcinko story. We yeah, can reference that. that. You want to go talk listen to that, go listen to our 4-year-old podcast. That's it's, a good one. It's covered in detail. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that then, but that was part of this was, you know, a lot of times when um when a government agency needs a product, they don't need just need the gun. They need everything. You know what I mean? They need the gun, the silencer, the ammo, the everything, the scopes, all of it. And so uh having a store that could supply the the supporting items for that that's that is it, you know what I mean and but anyway, so some of the first things they did um was basically making silencers, and this was a weird one because it was a, a big government agency, you know what I mean the snap on yeah, which is here, which is probably one of the one of the see I did that. <laughs> I just broke the fifth element there. Um, the, what what, what <laughs> the fifth element? And so the snap-on gun um, was was really designated towards a very specific Navy customer, and he was basically building a gun that they already had, which was Smith and Wesson, yeah. um, the Hush Puppy as it's yeah. known. And he said, you know what, I could probably I could probably do something better than that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know the most novel part of this is the is the quick release mechanism. Yeah. This is probably one of the first you know, modern quick release mechanisms that was out there. And this is pretty novel, you know what I mean? And we yeah. would we would carry it on through through the N T four and through the and through the M one ten. Um and uh and and then the slide release was was pretty novel. And oh, the slide lock, yeah. Slide lock. Um he, he you know, that was super thoughtful. Um yeah. and the small detents in there. And so a lot of these detents and things, that type of mechanism was really like it was similar to the stuff he was doing with his um competition revolvers that he was building and working oh, on at really? the time yeah those detents had a lot to do with the trigger stops that were oh yeah yeah, yeah. <coughs> so that type of size of mechanism was was um was conducive to that so like in my opinion this is like really my dad's first like everybody was
1: like damn yeah you know I, I, mean? I thought it was incredible i mean 30 years ago 25 years ago maybe i bought like a dozen of those from you guys. Yeah, I mean, this
2: is what like in in some ways I think put us put 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 the uh, the company or at least in my opinion I think it was like one of my dad's first truly the level that he was capable of on his own. He didn't have a bunch of you know what I mean he had engineers yeah. but he didn't have like a you know a bunch of a bunch of people helping him with. with so you with
1: think that. that I mean because because this is the first probably. M- silencer military contract they got yeah. 1982 yep. yep yep for the m16 yep.
2: and i remember i had never fired an m16 before in my life <laughs> well okay.
1: yeah you were like 14
2: yeah well but everyone my 14 year old fired a bunch of M16s. <laughs> uh, anyways um and i remember going to the range with my dad when we were doing the testing on this gun and we had sound meters but we didn't have that many sound meters so i had to sit there and shoot this suppressor all day and um, he would just walk around the range and listen to it from from all around, you know, and walk, really? all, walk all over the range. And I mean,
1: to me, that's the best test if if for real use, because you got to know what the person.
2: Yeah. Hears. So so funny. So two things. Number one is there was no back pressure reduction at this time. So the amount of ammonia primer that went back in your face <laughs> was a lot. <laughs> so, as a as a twelve or fourteen year old sitting there shooting this gun all day, it was probably not environmentally friendly. But but anyway, OSHA wants to talk to your dad. Yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but um, and and, and so to go back to so we had a, another business, and you know my father started um in and his family started in the citrus business and farming business. Okay, yeah. and he he was around that environment and it's a strong work ethic yeah and it's also very mechanical because all your stuff you use a lot of equipment you know what i mean and it breaks and you you can't just go up to the home depot or the wherever we couldn't afford to just go order a new tractor a new whatever so you have to maintain all the equipment yourself so he was in this environment where they were constantly working on fixing and maintaining farm equipment okay And that was his background, my father's background. And at this time, um, we had a company that basically managed um, equipment that um, hedged and topped citrus trees. So that
1: was what I didn't even know this. Yeah. I I mean, you and I have known each other 30 years. I didn't know. I told you I had some shit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So that was the business that he ran. You know, what I mean, at the time. And that was partly because he got kicked out of his own family business. Um, because of family reasons, I think there were seven brothers or something like that. So he was, he was operating a, uh, a business that wasn't, um, you know, competitive with, with his father and his father's brothers and, and stuff like that, the hedging and topping business. Um, and uh, ironically, the other thing that we maintained in that, in that shop was garbage trucks.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Your grandpa there was in the, no, no, no
2: no, 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 no. What happened was. One day they wouldn't pick up the garbage at my house. And my dad said, well, then I'm going to start a garbage business (laughs) because it was we had a long street. It sounds like your dad and he's like, well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm just gonna start a garbage business. So I think it's 1976 because it was the spirit of 76. So we had two garbage trucks fully painted in American flags um, in 1976 and had garbage trucks. So this (laughs) shop had probably two people that worked in it and I would work in there sometimes. And this this silencer was made in that shop, and ironically, the some the, of the components the, in the baffles are some sort of uh, hydraulic uh, yeah uh, like, uh, hydraulic um, uh, like a pesticide sprayer components.
1: You, you know, you you guys have a cutaway in one of the back rooms at Knight's Armament, or you, you did back in the day in the museum when you guys were first moving into that building. And you and I were hanging out a lot then. I'd come down, and I remember. We were back there just because you know, I love all the old historical stuff. We're going through it, and your dad came in mm. and he showed and like and told saw, you that story, saw what we were doing. You well, he, and not exactly, but he, t- he showed me several cool things that there's no way I would even mention. But this, the cutaway, and I asked him about it because I mean, this is interesting, like it performs sound wise really well still today. Of course, it's big and heavy, but and uh maybe you mentioned it at first and then he was talking about it but in the cutaway you can see the baffles and you guys told me what that was
2: yeah so i'm going I'm to talk about two things about that specifically number one about the design of it the idea of going behind the thread and locking on back here extremely smart for actual yeah. accuracy this and of course, the collet was specific to a to a specific barrel diameter, and M16 we had A1. we had to have different um, uh, collet uh, dimensions. And also, if you look at this, what's this based off of? Oh, a hardage lathe. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's what he did. No, I mean, look at it. Dude. Yeah, I mean, it's based off of a lathe chuck. You know yeah, what I mean? And, and, you know, and the
1: holes in the back are for a two, two, three rim to be right? able, to, yeah, to actually,
2: which that's a very stoner thing to use a a bullet as a tool stoner always said if you can't use a bullet as a tool then you know it's something you don't have on you mm. um then it's a waste but it's funny he said that about those baffles because he had to buy them from the company that sold them or made them you know and he all of a sudden he realized like what do you mean i can go to a stamping house and buy them for 30 cents a piece instead of you know <laughs> instead, instead of eight just, dollars the, yeah yeah or yeah. whatever it was you know so was, that was the first time that he was like whoa manufacturing you know what i mean um not and you know mind you this had to be welded and constructed and everything but um you know we've we've said this before that about silencers being a thing that um, people can kind of get into the industry. Um, and so I'm gonna, low I,
1: barrier to entry.
2: Yeah. I'm going to tell you, and when we're in episode three, <laughs> I'm going to blow your mind about that.
1: Okay. It's not anymore. Well, you know what's funny when you talk about this? It's interesting. You know, you and I have a mutual friend, Chris Barrett, and him being on the podcast and telling the story of like Ronnie, his dad, doing the you know the M82. And, you know, it's like this. It's just like something that's all fabricated and welded up. And, you know, I mean, uh, Mr. Barrett and I will call him that. I can't call Mr. Barrett Ronnie.
2: You know, what I mean, I just can't, you know, no matter what he's told me to call him Ronnie before. I can't fucking do it. It's just a respecting Southern thing or whatever. But that gun, a semi-automatic welded receiver gun is the most incredible accomplishment <laughs> uh, for the rednecks, like one for the rednecks, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, style. dude. I mean,
1: you're right, and still the longevity it's of that. It's no gun. joke,
2: dude. I mean, I, I mean, we 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 worked on a 50 caliber, so I understand. So, all right, so t- you know, 12 year old Trey is working in a a, a, a garbage <laughs> repair shop <laughs> slash gun store, two different facilities, but and, the-, and uh, <laughs>
1: the the hedging
2: business. Yeah, so we had two two spots, you know, and um. Lawman's and Shooter's well, Eventually, Lawman's was co-located to where uh, Knight's was. Um, in Vero Beach. In Vero Beach. And so I only had one place to go to work.
1: Because that's, that's where your family is from, Vero.
2: Born and raised like five generations. Yep. Wow. Farming, farming, farming community. Lots of g- great family stories. Um,
1: so funny you them. say that now? And across the street from your family property, some rich asshole has like a race car track for his Ferraris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you about that. <laughs> <coughs> you don't have to say anything. It's just funny. Yeah. Once upon a time it was yeah. farming. All right. I'm gonna segue way back.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna go way back. No, yeah. I'm not gonna go way back. All right. I'm not gonna go way back. All right, All
1: right. so twelve year old Trey. Yeah. You're doing the thing. Yeah.
2: And um, you know, we there was um we got into a heavy period there where we did a lot of really cool shit, you know, that yeah that we're not gonna discuss here, but we just did awesome stuff. Um you know, and a lot of the stuff that I, you know, that me and you were talking about before, you know, before in the kitchen, um, about ballistics and things like that. I learned a ton about ballistics and the other parts of performance of a firearm. You know what I mean? And we learned as a company learned about that. And it's kind of like, I always say that about a, a company. It's like, unless you look at like everything all at once, you're not really understanding the tool. You know what I mean? Um, and obviously the bullet or the projectile is such a critical part of it you know what i mean it it really is it's like at the end of the day at the end of the freaking <laughs> thing it's the last thing freaking yeah. you know that does the work the, you know the bullet killed bin laden yeah yeah so um you know i think that you know there was there was time periods where we kind of did some 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 stranger stuff you know what i mean or or just kind of projecty stuff which it's like i always say like this this is a weird thing but a customer, let's call it a customer, but 99% of the time and the customer is the government um comes to you with an idea what they need, you know what I mean? But they were like, "Oh, well, I need a ladder." You know what I mean? And you're like, "What are you trying to do?" "Well, I want to I want to climb that freaking thing." It's like, "Are you sure you don't need a rope?" You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so it's like or you know, they think they need a rope and you're like, "You sure you don't need a ladder?" You know what I mean? So it's always like breaking down to requirement. Like that is such a critical part of, of working in the environment of doing this type of business is the most efficient way to solve a problem.
1: You know yeah, I mean? it gets lost a lot. I mean, you and I both, like Big Army is like such a nightmare to deal with compared to other organizations where they understand and they have to be efficient. And, you know, you, you form a relationship and that's what you start to do. Yeah, I mean, um, if it wasn't for Big Army
2: and the Raz or Riz contract, Knights Armor Company would be a little bitch. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: well. You can quote me on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, how many rails have you guys made? We made one million rails. Yeah, like ten years ago.
2: No, we made one million rails at that price, and we still make rails. In fact, we're still making it right now. We're still making this right now. That's crazy. I mean,
1: that's twenty. 20- we just we just got a contract for twenty thousand of these. Well, that's twenty five years old too. I'm 26, and people want to talk about like, oh, you know, old technology, back pressure, blah blah blah. That well, I mean, that's 25 years old this year. So, so
2: so we should get up to the stoner point and like talking about stoner.
1: I I don't. Well, we will, but let's hear this story. So, the past 12 year old. You guys doing that stuff. Yeah. You do this. Yeah.
2: I think we're, I think kind of like, you know, this is kind of where my dad was, you know what I mean? Around, mm-hmm. around that time. Um And um, he, you know, he met Gene Stoner or, you know, started to cultivate a relationship with Gene Stoner. And they worked, they, the, one of the first projects they worked on was the pistol, the the All-American 2000. Yeah, all, the Colt gun. Yeah. yeah. And they had done, like, my dad had done some stuff with Colt for, um, for the uh, the DA suppressor and how the whole thing oh, well,
1: the predecessor to this one, the center of the handguard that w- we did a version of an advanced armament.
2: Yeah, it started with the with the AC, you know, with the um, with the freaking um, oh, we did the muzzle brake for the for Colt's gun, um, that had the crazy handguard and had the this stock on it.
1: Oh, the ACR,
2: ACR, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So you know, we were already working with Colt, so we were kind of probably on Stoner's radar because of that. And um, oh, was Stoner working with Colt now, then? I mean, I, I don't know how like what Stoner <laughs> was thinking about the time. I mean, honestly, like my dad started a relationship with Stoner prior to all this through the Stoner sixty three. You know what I mean? Uh, because he went. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Because he you, went to he went. You know, my dad was working with the Navy, and um, they. They needed their stoner 63s repaired, but it was more about like that's why he went to him, you know what I mean? And then we, you know, we got all that hardware and whatever. But it's like, but there wasn't really, it was cultivate a relationship, yeah. But the, these were the first projects, you know what I mean? So that he was talking to them for that time, period. But as far as like the first things that they were like, okay, what are we gonna do? And I, I want to like focus on this about the fact that, like, why did Gene Stoner pick
1: my dad? You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, because, I mean, he didn't. I mean, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he didn't need the money or anything and he wanted to work.
2: Oh, my dad? And your, no, not your
1: dad. Stoner.
2: Well, think about how many proteges he had. Think about Sullivan, you know what I mean? That had done the cleanup work on all his guns and done so much work for him. You know what I mean? Think about Atchison, Atch- you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, think Max. about all these other smart dudes that were in the industry at the time. Yeah, that right? was.
1: So, wait let's stop so th- this shirt so when uh yeah so this it's pretty so um this is so there are a lot of people involved in the m16 and all those projects Stoner worked with a lot of smart people jim sullivan brilliant guy max atchison still brilliant guy yeah 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 and and max has been dead for some time and you know he was a close family friend of mine and that's probably how i got into guns and max would tell me these stories periodically and he said they were, uh, this is like during the M-16 stuff and all. And um, so this was probably like the 60s. And um, they're at some...
2: Well, he was getting sued by the government. So just to put it in
1: perspective. Oh, stoner. Yeah. So they're, they're at some... Or indicted or whatever. You know. you know. Well, they. I, I don't actually, but th- they were at some... Uh, thing and some general was speaking and he was talking about like the M 16 rifle, which they had all worked on. And, um, and so Max like had so much respect for stoner. I mean, Jim Sullivan too. And they were all, and growing up knowing Max, like his brother was an attorney, like his sister was a surgeon and his, he said his brother could never be really successful as attorney because he was too honest. And Max was kind of the same way. And he was like, Stoner was, and I think all of them were kind of this way, but he's like, they're at this thing, and this general is speaking to like an audience. They're at some event, and he's saying stuff that's incorrect. And Stoner's on like the front or second row, and they're all sitting together, all the gun designers. And Max says, so he's sitting next to Stoner, and Stoner is like, bullshit! <laughs> and, and, you know, or like, whatever, and like, does it again, and the guy's to something else. And like, the general stops and says, you know, like, Whatever, Gene, Mister Stone, or whatever he says to him, and he's just like, "You're all a bunch of fucking idiots." <laughs> like, he just tells the yeah. whole crowd. He's like, you know, he he's livid because he's like, "What you're saying is a lie." Is a lie. Yeah, in, yeah. An answer, so, so what that all came down to specifically about the M16, it was a misuse
2: of powder. So when they when they fielded the first M16s, it was a it was a very faulty powder in things. That, again, when we talking, we keep talking about ammo being part of the system. You know what I mean? It's like imagine designing the high octane drag racer, and they show up and put fucking yeah you know, gas from the I gas mean, station. I you're right. It's, it's the magazine <laughs> and
1: the ammo is really. It doesn't matter how good the gun is.
2: So you know the faults of
1: the M16, but the
2: fact to have to go and be brought up, and you spend your whole life and everything to design something, and you're so proud of it. And then there's a failure with it that's outside of your control oh that and was then the you're part brought up the to government you're brought up to the uh, into a like a literally uh, indicted where you are personally liable for its failure and that people died in the field because of your bad design this Mattel gun and now we're sitting
1: around 50 60 years later is with it still
3: yeah
2: probably wasn't that bad of a design
1: well <laughs> it is you know to me it's almost like Van Gogh it's such a it's such a shame stoner died when he did because in 97... That's a whole other... Well, it is, but it it's like since then, every country, because we've had like a real war for 20 years and every country that has a real special forces unit that really shoots people, they all use the Stoner. I mean... And how awesome would it be it for him to see that? I just wish Gene Stoner was
2: alive when he saw HK start building
1: <laughs> his American <laughs> yeah. center. Oh, God. Oh he would have he he lost his mind, I don't know. He, he might have burned the building down, but like... Uh, no, 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 He, he, he no, might have no, laughed, no, no, laughed, too. No, 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 no. There's two times that this happened.
2: Um, They brought him the design for the um, SA-80, you know what I mean, and said, you know, Mr. Stoner, what do you think about this? You know, blah, blah, blah. And... um. Meanwhile, I was like, yeah, what's the not to like about your own children? You know, and he's like they, th- you know, and that gun, ironically, they were working on this is a whole like this is a whole nother story, but they were the, the government agency was working on their own design, Enfield design, a bullpup type design, and they went and got a Stoner 63 and hacked it up and freaking made a bullpup out of it. Oh, really? And, I didn't at, know that. and a side project. Meanwhile, they're spending all the government money designing a gun. And somebody was like, "Whoa, why don't we just do this? Brings it to them. Right. And it's like, hey, look at this. Oh, so
1: that's when he made the quote about your own children because it was his no, no, gun no, no. they no, But wait, 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 wait. And so then they had to buy
2: the rights of the Air one eighty that nobody was using to be able to legally use it because it was freaking Is that right? The whole story. Yeah, it's a whole different you story. You know, it, it's it's <laughs> so
1: crazy seeing, in my opinion, which means shit, the sixty three ahead of its time. Badass gun. My favorite gun. It, it, my favorite. I've got 63. in nineteen ninety six or seven. The second most expensive thing I bought. The most expensive thing was an eighty nine thousand dollars house. The second most expensive thing I bought was a Cadillac gauge Stoner sixty three with the Bren LMG and rifle configuration.
0: Is that the one that you have here? Is that a different one? Don't what you want to tell people where my <laughs> shit is? we had it on the, the table. table. All right, so we let's 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 table. talk but, about let's talk uh, about the Stoner sixty
2: three. So what happened? Wh- where the Stoner sixty three came from? It was people taking the M16 and trying to convert it into different things. And one thing he hated is I'm going to design you a boat and you want to turn it into an airplane? It's like if you want a boat airplane, I'll make you one of those. I'll make you an amphibious airplane, but let me just start from the scratch and build it that way and design it that way. And so that's what the Stoner 63 was because people were trying to make it a belt gun and make it into a million different things. And that's why the Stoner 63 Oh, yeah, Max and I worked on the belt gun. (coughs) On un- <coughs> un- Yeah, that was um, a terrible idea.
1: The upper? Oh, yeah, that was, was a terrible a great idea. idea. It was a terrible idea. Great idea. Impossible. to do. Well, Max, that's what he said in the end. <laughs> you should have listened to Stoner. <laughs> <laughs> Always listen to Stoner. Break. Well, maybe that's Break. why it's the Stoner rifle, not
2: the Atchison rifle. <laughs> <laughs> so this is around a similar time period. Um, my dad reached out to Gene Stoner, and he had, out of the blue, cold called him. He was like, yo, you know. Called him up on the phone. And he happened to live in Florida.
1: Found us. You went to the Yellow
2: Pages, looked it up, called him up, and I said, hello. Stoner,
1: Gene Stoner's number was in the Yellow Pages. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we did stuff before we had the internet, Kevin. <laughs> That's how we did it. I, I remember. The, it's just funny to hear it.
2: So he calls him. You know I mean? I just I always, whenever like. Wait, I,
1: your glasses are all jankity and fucked up so so so
2: after after he passed i remember asking his 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 widow like what did he think when my dad called him out of the blue (laughs) like who in the heck is this dude calling me so he calls him up and he's like listen i have a customer that's interested in getting some of your older rifles back in uh back in service and um we need some parts so can you help us out he's like yes i can so um this, this is around I don't know what, how old I was around that time but not much older than that 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 time period I remember my my youngest brother Jake was the one was was around probably four so it's probably 14 something like that 13 14 so the f- family took an entire trip up to Port Clinton Ohio and where all this tooling from the, st- the stoners was located and brought back and went through a two or three warehouses and brought back three tractor trailer loads full of stoner tooling and parts for the stoner 63. Oh,
1: I didn't know it was that much.
2: There's a lot of parts and tool the tooling. Yeah, the tooling tooling is to And um, I'm I've that tooling. I still have to deal with that tooling, you know, the weight <laughs> of it. And it's in the way and having to like remember when I got back, I'd have to oil it. We're in Florida. So you were having to maintain it to one day build stoner 63s, which never has happened, you know. Um, there was a time once when we almost sold some to a foreign country, but um, yeah, or we thought we're gonna, we, you know, finish off the guns that we've that we built, you know, the hundred guns that the pre eighty six samples mm-hmm. that uh, not samples the pre eighty full machine guns that, yeah. that Knights built. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the first thing with Stoner was getting this tooling back and maintaining a gun that he had he had designed years before, and that was probably my dad's first real connection with Stoner. And then oh. they would f- from there go on to somewhere else. But we go back to that thing about like, why did he pick him? And it might have been his connection with he was already just talking to the right guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? That my dad was already dealing with the right customers or people that he wanted to be reconnected with again. And I really think in my mind, or how I feel about it, is my, my dad had a serious work ethic. You know what I mean, he knew how to bust his ass. And I, I relate that really to like farming industry background that whole, I don't need a giant contract or, you know, I'm sure, you know, whatever you call it, a million dollar or whatever. Now back then it would have probably been a hundred thousand dollar contract to do something. It was just, no, we're just going to get this done. You know what I mean? And I think that's a very like, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it redneck, um, Southern, you know, farming type mentality. It's like, no, nah, we're just going to do this. We don't, we don't need to do it in a high budget. You know, we're just going to do this. And he'd been, you know, all those things he'd been through with Armalite and um, and everything else were huge, huge, monetarily endeavors. You know what I mean. So I think he saw that in my dad was that fact that he saw him as a hard worker. He certainly wasn't trained, just like Stoner wasn't trained. You know, Stoner had no engineering background. He was a machinist. Um, so he saw the the work ethic and saw um just that tenacity. Um, and and my dad was it, it is um. In, ingenuity, you know I mean? He can see things, and he's, he's a smart dude. Oh, yeah. I mean, he comes up with, with with good ideas, you know? Um, and I think that from there, it went to, well, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do together?
1: I think, th- of course, the All-American 2000 was probably the first project. Yeah, that um, Colt pistol. That Yeah. Then, so what happens? They build, you guys have it in the museum, the, yeah. the prototypes that yeah. are awesome, and then Colt just sticks their wiener in it. Um, what happened?
3: Well,
2: I mean, when I ever look at that pistol, Colt was actually very smart. With what where they were going. You know, they wanted to do a polymer framed pistol, which uh, striker fired pistol, which yeah. ironically became think, quite I popular. It, I think it's what
1: the Glock is. It's uh it's similar, the, what? Yeah. the Glock? Yeah. You've Never heard, heard, of, heard of her. Yeah. Three sixty five. Yeah, which that's a
2: whole nother conversation, but the idea of something being so perfectly freaking designed that it can't be improved. But yeah, that could have been the Glock. Like, literally, that pistol, if it was done right, could have been the Glock. And my dad, because he had um, so much experience um, in shooting the um, the revolvers and police pistol, it was that transition from a revolver to, a, to an automatic pistol. I mean, to a semi-automatic pistol. And how trigger control, how it worked, what was safe, what wasn't safe. And he knew about that. So this was a double action all the time, like the VP-70 or something pistol. And it was actually... For from you got to put in the perspective of going from a revolver to that, it makes a lot of sense. When you look at it now, you are like, "What the? That's stupid." You know what I mean? But at the time, when you are going from shooting a double action revolver to a, to an automatic pistol, um,
1: yeah. So for police and everything else, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that
2: you know that 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 it it they missed the mark. They obviously they put too many in production. They skimped out on some of the parts, and um, you know they didn't it
1: didn't do it. Yeah, but so that was the first thing that uh, Stoner and your dad did together. Yep. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, because I always figured. I mean, maybe you know, for Stoner's ego, it was great to have someone like your dad so interested in his designs. You know, the sixty-three, and then I mean, you know, the AR-ten, which you know we know now mm. has become the well, SR-25.
2: Ironically, the 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 um the 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 All American two thousand was actually the striker mechanism was my dad's design. And I remember him, because my dad didn't know AutoCAD or whatever, you know what I mean? And there was not that much of that, but he made it with, like, cardboard cutouts on a giant thing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Still have them. Um, so he, like, cool. designed that whole mechanism. But, of course, the rotary barrel mechanism, anything in three dimension, um, you know, he needed, you know, a master like Gene Stoner to, be a, to, to do it. And imagine, to put it in perspective, you guys, this is before computer-aided drawings, okay? So, like, I can't like the what gene stoner did in his in his and all those designers did in their time frame without computer-aided design using slide scales and you know yeah. it, 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 I, it no one can even understand that you know and we're going to talk about it later how it's changed from that to cad and cam and now to artificial intelligence and you know there's it it it, it there's there's been this step scale of technology that's that's
1: completely changed how yeah. a designer I mean, the, could the be world's able to be effective. evolving yeah, yeah the entire world's evolving so quickly it
2: doesn't it didn't take so much of a you know as the as the technology becomes easier to use it unhinders the designer yeah you know what i mean and i don't and, a, and usually a designer doesn't have that same skill set as as a you know, or a loose. They don't have the same skill set to be able to. They have the idea, and the translation of the idea into actually making it is is going to is becoming easier and easier as the technology yeah, advances. Yeah, I agree. Right. Totally. Um, all right. So Stoner sixty three. Um, the Colt's and the, all American. The Colt American two thousand. So they did it and licensed it to Colt. They did, and um, it was a complete failure. Um, and um. um the good news is is colt didn't have the money to 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 pay um knights for for the program and um you know a lot of uh guns that would have been lost into different collections actually ended up in the imt collection because they were used as payment so the, the first m16s and some of mr stoner's history historical guns that he designed were able to come home to a single place to be on display and be shared with the people. yeah so, so that's in the imt, IMT collection yeah they're at knight's
1: armament yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen. One There's a lot of history there. Number one million M sixteen. One million X M sixteen. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. one million was given away. Yeah, and then uh, the first one. Oh, so much stuff there.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and I, it's a funny story. I remember going through like the first museum, which it was all like, you know, I don't know. Did you ever go to the museum in Vero Beach? Yeah, I, with the pegboard. And
1: y- yes. Yeah. But but when I went, you guys had. I've just seen the room. You yeah. guys you guys had moved it Right, it? right. So I remember
2: going in that room and it was like my third presentation of my dad's guns. You know what I mean? Oh, they, really? As they get more and more, you know. Because I
1: think that's he's on the cover of Machine Gun News In that and, room? In that room in front of that pegboard, and he's and or it's either in the article. Yeah, of it's a recreation picture. Of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um,
2: Mr. Stone was a pretty funny, dude. Actually, oh no, really? He was he was like the most ironic, like yeah, Mr. Stone, and um just witty. You know what I mean? Like, um, you got to be smart to be witty. And um, I remember going in there and it's like, like he didn't have a lot of jokes. And at the time, he was you know starting to have effects from uh, from from his cancer, and um he was coming down for different uh, projects for working on the SR50 or, um right before he died he he would bring his wife down and I would actually uh go through pistol training with her so he'd come down and work on the gun and I would go take her out on the range and um teach oh, really?
1: to shoot um where w- know, where was he living he was living in florida
2: yeah it's um down in down in like uh it's like palm coast southern not uh it's about mm, maybe i think 45 minutes south of vera beach something like that okay. about an hour south of vera beach and um um oh he had a compound down there dude yeah big time compound
1: was he flying helicopters helicopters
2: in? boats he did he went through a whole period where he made did all these boat designs for a certain group they were all like aluminum hauled twin diesel he would always be like the government you know the gun industry would just piss him off and he'd be like f that i'm gonna freaking build boats man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean up until the time he died he was actually building um uh, paper airplanes and fly them in his backyard. Air, air hall designs and gluing them together. I still have some of them. So it was like he could design anything. You can That's imagine so if he would cool. had access to, you know, modern methods of design. What? Yeah. He, what he? Yeah, could, he would and have Browning
1: both. If they were alive today, with all the materials, manufacturing methods, design methods. Yeah, like where's that dude now, dude? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it ain't me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know one. I mean, they were, I mean, both of them obviously very special, but you know, it is ironic. Like when Browning was alive, it was known, and it wasn't as widely accepted. You know, for Stoner, and it, you know, the, to me, some of that's just unfortunate. Now, no, I think it was
2: the, I think it was the, um, the backlash from the M16. If they wouldn't have come at him so negatively after that gun, he would have done way more prolific things.
1: Yeah cuz y- your LMG is based on the Stoner 86 which competed for the squad automatic 249 mm-hmm. contract right Yeah so the, um basically so we're talking about 1986
2: he designed that gun so let's that's kind of we can we can um well we're going to jump past the yeah we can no, jump can we ahead. can jump up them we, no, that, no that's actually, i'm not that's, gonna forget the lmg no nope, that's actually chronological all right so stoner um after he left those companies um he started another company it was called aries in port Clinton, ohio um not to be confused with the other aries jeff what's his jeff name? herring yeah yep which good dude but not not gene stoner um and um he started another company and they worked on big guns, so thirty-five millimeter cannons, and that's an offshoot of actually, wow, what he was working on was, um, um what he was working on is those boats, and he started working on big guns.
1: Oh, big guns for the boats.
2: Yeah, and um, guess what he uses the cartridge design.
1: Case telescope. Oh, he did. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about case telescope? Yeah, I didn't. Okay, yeah, so we can, we can transition it. That's so he's doing coming. boats, he's doing big guns for it. Yeah, big guns. So Case Telescope, that was his thing. I didn't even know that. So why, why did he love it? What makes sense about it? Well, a lot of things make sense about it. The main thing that makes sense
2: about it. Well, it, well what is it? Uh, case Telescope is like, um, let me see, your, is that empty?
1: No. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, case Telescope, give me some kind of a cylindrical device. No, that can't be a bottle. Yeah, it can. Yeah, that'll work. All right, so cylindrical. Yeah, so I need two of them. <laughs> anyway, I can do a. You're, it with you're one. out of luck. So, <laughs> so, th- so the idea, like a cartridge, when it's fed into a chamber, it's fired and then it has to be extracted. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the most dangerous part of of the firing operation.
1: Dangerous right? in what regard?
2: In what regard that that has a more chance to fail? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because hundred percent. All right. So feeding it, that's that is dangerous too. But that is the most dangerous part. So, case telescope, basically, you feed one cartridge in, you fire it, and you feed another one in, you feed, you rotate the cylinder around, and you feed another one in, and you basically, there is no extraction. You push one case out with another, with something else, um, whether it's a pusher, so there's no extraction.
1: So, sort of like in. a single-action revolver and mm-hmm. opposite.
2: Well, I mean, you can have two cylinders, three cylinders. Um, the problem with the more cylinders you have, when you have to download the gun, you have to clear it in some way. Yeah. So you have to clear the gun. So that's like one of the only downfalls of it. Um, another thing, as far as an electric gun, uh, all day, you know what I mean. Um, so it's just it's it's just a way more efficient. And so basically, the, the the bullet is inside of the the case, so the bullet's not sticking out the front. You get? Do we have a bullet around? No. Um, You look at how a bullet's shaped, right? And the idea of feeding it into something. It's the most stupid shape to like, you know, I mean, yeah, it has a nose and you feed it up. Well, that's not efficient. If you want to feed something, feed it directly into something else like a piston or whatever else. So it's just a way more efficient of dealing with cartridges, where the powder goes, where the bullet goes. And especially for big guns, you know what I mean? And scaling it down like they tried to do or like, you know, that has been going on with the LSAT program is maybe not the best place to do it but as far as their big caliber guns it's super efficient you know what i mean and he he designed and came up with that um that process and that idea at that time um and he um so, but but he did it doing these large cannons these yeah which gun is, which is where it makes the most sense um and you know I, we said we're not going like, to talk about politics or whatever but at the time their their Arie's biggest customer was a Shah of Iran, mm. and when all that shit fell apart, um, as far as the relationship between him and the United States, obviously those contracts and everything he was working on for that customer all went away. So he had millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of contracts and development that all of a sudden went,
1: you know, oh, gone. You know, I didn't even know Just this like part that. of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I told you I was going to bring some stuff. Yeah, so Stoner <laughs> foiled again. <laughs> foiled again by politics. Yeah. Oh. yeah. All right. Well. So we he he actually um, designed a couple, um, um, you know, small arms case telescope or non-electric powered um, case telescope type, type guns. Um, you know, what at, at you know at nights, uh, uh, actually a direct impingement, um, or actually I think it was a piston-driven um, case telescope small arm. But trying to convert it down small is, is hard. It is really, in my opinion, it's, it's really optimized for an electric gun. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, you know, speaking of that, I want I want to maybe back up history. Okay. Um. From your version of your input from various knowledge from from him, your dad, whoever else. Hmm. AR fifteen, AR
3: eighteen. Hmm. Okay. Is
1: that like the stuff with the government? Is that why he did the AR-18? Um, okay, here's what happened. They sold the design rights
2: to Colt for the AR- AR-15, yep. Okay, which he never wanted to do in that low of a caliber. Um, and
1: You mean he didn't want to build the gun or he didn't want to sell it to Colt?
2: Uh, no, he was fine with selling it. Probably. He didn't care necessarily. Um, you know, Armalite was not really in the business of building. They were a technology Designing, company. Yeah. yeah. You know. Okay, so he um, was fine. And he never worked at
1: Colt then, huh?
2: Uh I'm sure non. I have no idea but I'm sure he <laughs> did he was contracted in some way to them but no yeah. um but when well, once they sold that to them again he was always about he'd make something awesome and then the world would come back to him and be like this is what's wrong with it and he'd be like okay so what he was trying to fix there was it was too modern of of manufacturing processes Oh, with the forgings
1: and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. But especially before oh, CNC machines. So he's like, yeah. okay, I'll make you a stamped gun. So the only reason. Yeah. yeah and they are 18. I mean, the hammer stamp, the select. So he's stamped. like, I'll
2: make you a cheap gun. The only reason the M16 and all this has this buffer tube yeah. is because of the seven pound requirement for a 7.62 rifle. And that's the only way you can shoot a gun that weighs seven pounds and not freaking have uncontrollable freaking things. So once you say, oh, it's going to be five, five, six. Oh, I don't need all this, this buffer tube and all this straight line shit.
1: Oh, yeah. I've not heard it explained like that.
2: Before. Yeah. So this was all in an effort to be able to build a seven pound seven, six, two rifle. And which no had to have a muzzle brake and all the other stuff on. it. So once it's five, five, six, he's like, shit, I don't need the buffer tube. And the only reason they took the. The direct impingement in a way. In fact, the prototype AR-18 is actually direct impingement.
1: Is it really? Yeah. Because I think the story that's kind of widespread is that gun was done. To make it better? Yeah. Bullshit. No. He had to do that because it was a patent infringement. Really? Yeah. Facts. So we did uh, the short stroke piston. As because it was a it was a patent, patent infringement, infringement and, he, and he did a folding stock because you didn't need it because it's five five six, and he did stamping because it was more prolific at the time. than The CNC m- machine, oh yeah, more affordable to produce, yep. Huh. Which actually a really cool design, yeah. You know?
2: And it's also a second a lot s-
1: of stuff now is still copying it.
2: Mm, it's also a second swing. Like he very rarely, if he attacked a subject, he would very rarely re re approach that yeah. problem unless he had like a totally new. Technology idea, yeah, because his idea wasn't going to be any better. It was more like if something had changed, or he yeah. would never approach the same problem um, unless he had a oh. whole whole new concept. Which I mean, that really leads into the to the to the twenty five. You know, and so it was the first time he'd say, "Well, you know what? I think I could maybe do something as good as or whatever. Then I would do the AR-10 different
1: now." You know, you, you think about it now, and it's like since you and 1950
2: I, nineteen fifty whatever, fifty fifty-seven, and then he comes back at it in nineteen you know ninety whatever. Well, you know? I
1: even want to say it differently. You, you know, like the whole time we've uh, been into guns, it's like, oh, Browning. You know, his, his the M2 is like a hundred years old and still going. Shit, you don't think about it, but I think the AR, the Stoner design is still in in your gun and five five six guns. All of it is still like probably still peaking, and yeah. it's uh, uh, sixty five years old.
2: Yeah, and
1: um, I mean realistically, it's and it I is.
2: honestly, the M two should have been replaced fucking twenty years ago. Honestly, but well, that's yeah. a different story.
1: Yeah, different. somebody has got to go do it. But you think about. I mean, Brown. how about an
2: electric case telescope? M
1: hmm. two, <laughs>
3: but um,
1: but you know, I mean, just thinking about that, whether it's the nineteen eleven, the you know, the M two, the just any of this stuff. All right, let's jump into SR twenty five. Let's jump yeah. into it. Yeah, so SR twenty five. Yeah. Okay, so this happens. You guys are in the eighties. He does the the machine gun, uh, well, but that was not with us. No, no, that was with Aries. The
2: LMG. That was with Aries though. He didn't do that with Knights.
1: Oh, you guys just submitted it for the the thing. In 86 for the Saw contract. Yeah, but he designed that with
2: Aries. Oh. And it was pretty okay. much um Stone 86 at the time was 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 um Aries put that then. We did it in 96. Oh. So um in in 86 is uh aries actually aries. submitted
1: it yep mm-hmm. okay man you're
2: making me do dates dude you know uh, I, don't I don't want to do, do that you know but i don't do so, dates.
1: so okay well then let's just jump forward you, okay. you stoner and your dad become friends Yeah. uh common interest mm-hmm. and because i remember in the early 90s when sr 25 was going to come out there was little ads and magazines you could send a deposit <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, you know.
1: So in, in the first silencer, over the barrel, but mm. the gas block was threaded. It mm. wasn't the QD. Even mm.
2: Which, you know, honestly, it goes back to this, dude. You know what I mean? It's like my dad's idea threads that like, are just somewhere I else. A, I want a longer uh wheelbase. Yeah. You know and just mean?
1: take out some of those parts. Yeah. 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 It goes back to another concept. So um, so how did that happen and when did that happen? It had to be around like I don't know. Well, I mean know. it was right before
2: days. the uh, assault rifle ban. So it was like that was like you 94. know, ninety four. So it was, yeah. it was probably ninety two is when they started yeah. the Started it and um the the term S R twenty five um was Yeah, what's what's it mean? AR fifteen and AR ten put together.
1: <laughs> and the SR is
2: it's stone a rifle.
1: Okay. Right. AR AR ten and AR fifteen put together. Yeah. So, so
2: originally the plan was to use seventy percent of the parts from from the M sixteen. Oh, it's so, so sorta like that whole scar program, like parts commonality. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we found that a lot of the parts wouldn't live up to the, you know, but it was a good idea at the time. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think the use of
1: a smaller buffer tube was a mistake. Should yeah? Go, yeah. Should have stayed with the big one. Absolutely. Because I've got an original and uh, AR10, yeah, bigger yeah. buffer. I mean, for what those parts cost, like,
3: yeah.
2: Anyways, who am I to sit here and judge? <laughs> Yes. All right. I'm sorry.
1: But, you know, I mean, who knows what they were thinking at the time? Like, a, a, No, he know. was thinking of cost reduction. They weren't trying to really necessarily build it to be a, well, a,
2: sni- that, a sniper rifle. It's very different then. And um, as soon as they built the first ones, it was incredibly accurate. You know, the first guns were always super accurate. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, right away. I I can't talk about the specific time period or whatever, but, you know, um, our community, our, our user community wanted a, a semi-automatic gun. Yeah. You know, and they needed one, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I have like a, you know, personal time period that I can put in my life of, of, people and what was going on at the time period of them wanting a semi-automatic rifle well i mean so so that we should really should be the mark 11 is you know what you're talking about which is behind you oh yeah yeah Yeah, grab that
1: that was that was more
2: more around the time period you know
1: and um why was this was this uh something where they needed because you know when i think of that i think of like somalia or urban combat or warfare where you've got um yeah somalia is exactly where yeah, so you need the capabilities of the AR-15, but you want a three oh eight cartridge for killing. I
2: mean, honestly, it was the fact that that this could perform as a,
1: as a sniper rifle.
2: Like they never yeah. had a rifle, and especially with modern optics and even more modern optics, the ability to be able to sh- a shoot a, a rifle like this, fire and correct, fire and correct changed the entire sniper world whether they want to admit or not and whether it was this or an m14 or another rifle whatever this happened to be the rifle that changed the entire dynamic of how a sniper engages targets and it had a lot to do with optics it's not just the gun it's it had a a lot a lot of things optics have progressed a lot in the last 30 years but the ability to maintain a target image while you're shooting it changed the entire like the way a sniper worked did his job you know and you know it's a huge contribution. Yeah, making you know? more e- uh,
1: efficient. I mean, you can have more guys that don't have to be trained as, as trained. And, the training, yeah, because the training for somebody well, we know, like long-range precision shooting, is not an easy game. Mm,
2: I think the whole idea of like the one-shot, one-kill thing, it's yeah.
1: it's it's yeah. a whole
2: different. It's a whole different. It's a whole. It's a whole different. Whole different thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I hunt a lot now, and I was just with a, a, a friend of mine, Jared Joplin, in Africa. And he and I both shot. I shot a bless buck at nine fifty with a six five Creedmoor. He shot it at eleven fifty. It ain't no one shot one kill when you're talking that, that far. Kind of yeah. yeah, with a caliber like that, when you're talking wind and all these other things, like you can be the greatest shooter in the world. Like if you don't have the information. So, yeah, I mean, in that instance, too, both of us, it's like you shoot, you see the impact, you correct, shoot again.
2: Yeah. yeah. So that was a new, that's a new concept. And snipers were very reluctant to deal with that type of, No, oh,
1: I need one shot.
3: <laughs> it's
2: was like, what, what if you had oh, three or four? Yeah. <laughs> what if, like, yeah, what's wrong c- with. You could go like, from, like, yeah, what if you didn't with?
1: have to be at 350 yeah. yards? What if you could be at 950? And what if you could see your bullets? <laughs> yeah. All the, All these things. <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool yeah mark eleven's cool
2: man i mean honestly the the gun itself was going through a lot of like growing p- pains at this time, yeah so we had a lot of negative it's expensive to build a new gun
1: uh we were just learning you yeah know what I mean? and that's um, expensive well what so was this originally done with your uh dad and stoner as a military gun or was it um the there, was another, gun? there was another there was another there's another gun that was adopted first. Um,
2: this was the most. This was the first publicly adopted um, SR twenty five. But
1: but is that why they did it, or did they do it because it just should be? No, gone? they did it as a commercial gun. Okay, um, yeah, that's what I mean. Honestly, and then we had the
2: assault rifle ban. Yeah. So imagine, like, my dad, like, you know, tooling up. Yeah, we're gonna build assault rifles. Then nope, that's banned. I mean, but I
1: mean. I mean really, at, you just couldn't have a collapsible uh, stock. the situation payment, is luck, just like yes, barrel. but
2: it was designed as a commercial gun, you know what I mean, yeah. or to have or at least enter and get capital off the commercial market
1: commercial viability, and then all of a
2: sudden, when you take that market away from the development and funding of the
1: project it it definitely definitely increases the risk, yeah, you know what I mean so, yeah, I don't want to do anything just for the military i mean. Yeah. I mean the politics, and all, it just goes away too quickly. I could say the same thing about the politics from the commercial market. It's absolutely
2: true. Yeah. So Bill Bolt guns.
1: Boring. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. You just never had a good bolt gun. You know, you know, that's the genesis that's the reason we, I know, I agree with you. We'll, I was making a joke. Dude. But we did the fix first because it was in 2016 and we thought Hillary would win the election. Yeah. And so we did a bolt gun. And, yeah. and then, too, it's like the first thing I've ever made we can sell in California. I think it's a nice gun. Thank you. It's, it's really more than nice. a nice gun. It's it's really nice. It's really innovative, awesome, cool. But, you know, you don't hunt and all. You like, like, you're still in that machine, like gun machine, guns, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> machine gun. I like machine guns. I know. Machine guns. I
2: like machine guns, dude.
1: Well, Okay, so, so what happens with this? You guys do this SR-25, yeah, yeah. the machine gun ban happens, proper fucked.
2: No, the the assault rifle ban. Oh,
1: yeah, the yeah. assault rifle ban, yeah. sorry. Not 86, 94. Yeah. Yeah, old, 94. old Clinton. Yeah. And, but then the military, smartly, is inter- so like, hey, we... It was a long process. We're dude. not sniper... The I mean, you know, it's probably like most snipers in most organizations. Most of your shots are not 800 meters. Yeah. I mean, all
2: right. So I think we're we're like past, um, like this is this is even kind of past that time period. Um, I'd say Stoner's work on um, on the SR50 is probably like what he was doing if we're in the same time period and trying yeah. to keep it in the same same time period. That's the last uh, gun that he worked on yeah. with us, um, which was really cool gun. Um, as far as if any Geeks out there that care about technical features wanna Most of them have never even heard of the sr fifty. I can assure. Well the sr fifty is one of the first uses of a dual ejector, um, which a lot of people say they did first, but that was the first use of a dual ejector. Um had a lot of um had a side magazine, mm-hmm. um semi bulb up design. Um is it? Yeah, semi. I don't even remember that. Yeah. I, I mean, you up. figure out where the magazine is. It's not. It's not bullpup, but it's oh. it's ref, let's call it reflect reflexive
1: um, design. Because um, I've seen like two or three prototypes of it over the
2: years. Yeah, it was sad when he wasn't around to work on it. It really went downhill. Yeah. You know, imagine handing somebody else's project. I mean, I will say this about like designers in general or design teams. And I would say this probably about Stoner when he was with other companies is it requires a team to build, to design, build and manufacture a gun. Yeah. And you have to have the right group of people. There's always like the starter, you know what I mean? And then a team that kind of gets the talents together and then the group that gets it in in actual production. And it's, it's not just one. There's never a dude that can just design, build, and no. manufacture a gun. I, you know mean, I mean, I, I think you there's just, always a team. You, know? you
1: described it better, but when I think with my guys, you, you, you know, for we basically have like a six-man engineering team, and they all work on all the projects. Yeah. And, and they're very good. because But you, you think about that sort of synergy, and, and I always say like when you see, and you can tell, it can be a brilliant engineer. When you have one guy that does one gun every part start to finish, I think you can generally tell. You know, like uh, I mean, I think a lot of the big companies do it. You know, like I think the Ruger Precision Rifle, their bolt gun, and I like Ruger as a company a whole lot. And that gun is that's a cool gun. You can tell one guy did it all, and yeah, I don't have enough knowledge about that specific gun. But I but mean, yeah, I, do I would think, think about. I teams. would think
2: about like, like I, I think about like I would love to talk to Sullivan. Like a, he he'd be the dude I would like to have on a podcast. You know what I mean? I've tried to actually yeah. talk to him on camera before. Like, I want to know the stories that he knows about the aftermath of Stoner and, like, you know, having to get stuff in production and all the shit that he had to deal with, you know.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine.
2: Mm, Yeah. I mean, you know, making something and make designing something and making something two totally different things.
1: Yeah, I mean, we know it's like you can have a few real smart guys and you can make two or three prototypes of something and in they're incredible. Putting something in production, that's just a whole different th- yeah. game. And then selling it to the right people at the right time. That's a whole other game. You know I mean? Yeah, because I mean we think about AR eighteen, the Stoner 63, all these incredible guns. It just it, wasn't the right there wasn't the right need for it at the time. Bad yeah. time. And some of the things are you can be ahead of your time. Like I thought about it with our bolt gun, the fix. Um I love straight pull. Love it. And the blouser is a successful gun. It's awesome. It's a weak design. It's complicated. It's expensive to make. We could do it better. The mag- There's a lot of things you could do better with it. But, you know, my thought and the engineers wanted to do a straight pull when we did the fix. And I said, America's not ready for it. Like, we don't have the marketing horsepower to convince America mm-hmm. like the Europeans are into it you know what's it, funny I you know what the, the blouse
2: you know what the blouse mechanism same shit it's a fucking collet. It yeah fucking, it's a
1: call it that yeah, expands same shit. and I think the next generation of the fix in 10 20 mm-hmm. years it's a straight pull gun
2: I love it when you bring a mechanism that's not normally used in a certain arena into something you know what yeah I mean? it's cool like you don't have any of our new cans but the QDC call it, you know what I mean is that With the, the mams uh, yeah I mean that's the that's what's on there but uh, I'm talking about the six ball collet design, yeah. you know, um, there's some yeah. things about that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the way that that works, then I'm
1: not going to totally like, well, it's you Yeah. Bulge. yeah. You know? But I mean, I mean, it's good and it's used in other industries and there's a reason. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. It's funny. We, my dad always wanted to work just like an air collet where you just put it on there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that didn't work. In fact, <laughs> in fact,
2: originally this was done in a collet design way back then like that. Oh, really? I didn't yep. know that either. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna act like we're talking about garbage trucks because that was the time period that we were at this session where I want to segue back into garbage trucks. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and you were cutting the tops off trees.
2: Yeah, we're cutting the top off trees, and so uh, we had a shop, and um, we uh, maintained this equipment, which would include you know the same basically equipment that you would use to uh, trim um, trees in a grove, an orange grove, or maintain uh, garbage trucks, which was hydraulics pretty complicated equipment. Um and, you know, my dad's background when his family was in farming, you know, he we talked about um you know him getting into um competitive pistol pistol. We talked about him getting into competitive pistol shooting and um he uh he was into
1: racing cars.
2: So meanwhile, where uh, he
1: was total redneck back then. He was into racing cars. That's dude. what
2: he did, dude. He built he built cars, right? Yeah. And um so he was just in that environment too with his dad where they had shops and he just wasn't interested as much into you know the whole citrus business um and so he raced cars and um he actually he bought a 19 uh 1965 corvette brand new 1965 corvette oh. with his college money <laughs> right and um he took the motor out of that car and went and won the grand nationals drag racing, put in his drag car and so he was a, he was a very com- competitive, um, you know, car driver. He did some some circle track type stuff. You know, we're down in Florida. There was, you know, the whole Daytona scene. Yeah. Um, but it was that whole environment of people that, um, you know, I, I say that all the time about people that this type of technology that goes into guns or the type of engineers, the type of people that are into them or understand the mechanisms it's very similar to the automotive industry you know or anyone yeah. that tinkers with that stuff motors are very similar to guns it's heat yeah. it's uh, an explosion so that 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 i you know he he had a very limited amount of um gun experience at the time but had a extreme passion for for cars and those mechanisms motors everything else um and that would be something that he would I feel like that that experience at that time period would be something that would really help him later um as far as how things worked mechanics yeah. something to be able to understand stuff
1: not a school he went to but something he learned hands on you know Yeah Well I mean he's definitely still into it I mean even last time I was there like he's fascinated by cars has a car collection has the tank collection Yeah I think we
2: all are I think we I always say design okay i would relate it to three scales in my mind i'm sure there's more than three scales i'm sure space is the f- the fourth scale um but jewelry or watches is kind of like the smallest scale of, of mechanics that you can understand i can imagine building all the mechanisms that go into a watch nope i cannot either um and i think that uh guns is kind of like that mid-scale something you can hold in your hand um cars is kind of like that one scale larger that you can kind of ride around in and then architecture houses is like that that larger scale that you live in and a design, how you interact with a design is is the whole beauty of design. You know what I mean? And and those in my mind are the kind of the three scales. Micro you know, furniture maybe be on that mid scale cars, furniture. And then architecture maybe is the, the larger scale, something you actually reside or your body moves within. Um, and I appreciate them all. Um, I'm not sure that my dad appreciates the architectural level, uh, level of it. Um, and I'm not sure I really understand the minuscule, mar- uh, you know, the watch level. But I do appreciate jewelry, you know what I mean, which yeah. is kind of the idea of stuff that's that small design. When you can appreciate something that's made this small. And you know what it does, well, it's something you wear in your
1: body. It's not like you know yeah, you know. it's interesting. I mean, watches are fascinating. And a lot of guys have that affliction. and then they have guns, motorcycles, boats, airplanes, like all that kind of guy stuff. I, I don't really you know like I love cars as well and I love classic cars. but what I found with cars and I've had a few cars and I've got I' got more cars than I need now and I'm not even into cars. But cars require maintenance, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you know, you got a battery, you got gaskets, filters, all these things, the air in the t- like. It, the tires. Uh, I have a car downstairs that the tires are dry rotted on. Like, I'm not that old. That's yeah. stupid. And it takes up a lot of space. So you yeah, I mean, uh, the that's the cool
2: thing just, about guns is you can take a gun. Put them all in a closet. And they're fine.
1: Yeah, you can have a million dollar gun collection in a closet.
2: And require a very minimal amount of maintenance. Yeah. yeah. A little oil.
1: Mm-hmm. Don't let it get real humid in there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's be basically be able to preserve it.
1: Yeah. Ca- yeah. Cars
2: especially are very maintenance heavy. Uh,
1: yeah. All, all those you know. sorts of things with engines, airplanes and all that, you know. And so, you know, because I've had some classic cars and then I want to drive them every day. and. and it's just not feasible, it especially is not. now, because uh, Bluetooth, y- you know, whatever this stuff is. Now I don't even know I can back up without a backup camera. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, so your dad was into race cars.
2: Yeah, and I feel like that in in my mind, that's where where his really his um, engineering school occurred. You know, was yeah. basically understanding those types of mechanism tolerances, heat, um, thermal thermal issues, yeah, um, friction, wear same shit you know what I mean that's that that was his that was his college you know what I mean um and Stoner was kind of in a similar situation he served in the military and and um was around even uh did did uh aircraft maintenance um
1: was he in the air well the army he was in the marine Corps. yeah marine Marine Corps. yeah
2: um but he um you know he you know had a background in the military before he became a machinist so uh, again being a machinist and an engineer Two totally different ways to look at it, you know, and like yeah. looking at it from like, well, I'm too dumb to be an engineer, so I might as well just be a, you know, a machinist or a mechanic, you know, and, you know, eventually that that the a computer will replace the engineer, you know, but the design, you know, what I mean, it's, yeah, but I
1: mean, you know, you and I. Both know a lot of great minds, whether it's your dad, it's Marvin, it's Tim Bixler, like, like whoever, all these guys that are not formally educated in engineering that do a lot of great design work. Start off at the simple level and work from the bottom up as opposed to top down. Yeah, and, and it's probably no matter what they were doing, they would be successful. It wouldn't matter.
2: I mean, dude, like, try to understand Elon Musk. Like, <laughs> how did he, like... How Where?
1: like how, what level did he jump into the water stream of what he's doing? Well, I mean, I I think he's an alien to all of us, but one thing, and I don't follow him that closely, honestly. And, you know, I've got one of the cars and I wanted to try that technology and kind of support it. And it's one of the coolest vehicles I have ever owned. One of my favorites, but I'm not sure I really care anymore. You know, I just look at his impact on like our society, on our society. You yeah. know, but what I love about that is is I don't I'm not smart enough or I don't pay enough attention also to have like a good understanding of everything he's doing. But I know like the scope of what he's doing. It's huge. And dude. It it is it is something that should be studied and expressed and challenged for a hundred years. And, you know, that's probably like 500 years, 100 years ago. Uh, but because he's someone that says, well, why the fuck can't we do it? it the fact that people are fucking with him is
2: so crazy to me. I it's like this dude is like doing more than like 100 people, 100 big companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you
1: are fucking with him? Uh, see, like, I, I think you know guys know I mean? like that should never pay taxes. They shouldn't be fucked with because yeah. of let them. Because, you know, if he never paid taxes and it's like that whole, we don't want to talk about politics, but liberal mindset of. The rich people should pay ninety percent. It's like they're the ones that are going to spend all their money to create new technologies. Like mm. Elon Musk he, doesn't he, need money. E- even if you go to the level, like your dad doesn't need money. It's not like why he's into technology and developing things. It's not why Knight's Armament does it. Like, like what what what's your dad going to live another thousand years? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like you
2: look at it. Like Elon Musk, his 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 freaking contribution to society, man. It's like.
0: But it's more than just the people think of Tesla and like SpaceX and all that. They forget that he created PayPal like PayPal did so much. That alone did so Mm. much. I mean, it's like
1: Amazon. Just about everybody touches it every day. Yeah, I feel like that was in my mind.
2: That was. I don't agree with that as a con- as a societal contribution, right? I but think th- that was a way
0: I to do. yeah. But think I about don't. how convenient he changed. Yeah, he changed for, the way you yeah, purchase. Yeah, but it, stuff. it didn't do anything. But anyways, what I'm
1: <laughs> well, but you know what I love about it is he's not old. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, like, the what, only thing I'm mad about, and if you're listening right
2: now, then uh, let me tell you what I was Iron Man before you were Iron Man, <laughs> and then you moved down to Florida and then became Florida Iron Man. Freaking, we haven't even met yet. Whatever, dude talk later. It's going to be a, a, <laughs> rap <battle when laughs> a rap battle. <laughs> I'm calling you out right now. <laughs> he lives in Florida? Well, I mean, he's down there all the time. Like, SpaceX is literally like 15
1: miles oh, from freaking my Martin's plant. Cape dude. He drives by my plant to go to his spot. You got to throw out those spikes. Be like, oh, <laughs> Tesla don't have that. No, run flat tires, man. Yeah, he
2: probably freaking flies in there in his freaking underwater jet or some shit. Yeah, man, he's balling. <laughs>
1: that's, that's a whole other status. Yeah. All right. So yeah,
2: all right. Let's go back to go back to back to.
1: Um, all right. So where are we now? We're at SR twenty five commercial market. The uh, salt yeah. weapons ban and and what happens with knights? Because then it's like rail stop contract, mm. right? I don't know. Hmm. We kind of missed that. Well, I mean, I think that's where we kind of left off. We're talking yeah, about yeah, the yeah, SR twenty five. Yeah, giddy up. Okay, all right.
0: Yep. Well, well I, I had a question about the rail. Did mark, the Mark eleven doesn't have it. Did the rail? You kind of, before we started talking, you talked about why you wanted to do the rail a little bit. But did the rail come straight up because of the SOTMOD program, or were you kind of working on the rail before that? And it just happened to be applicable.
2: Well, finally, you have a, a contribution to our yes, conversation. Yes, <laughs> 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 I thought he was just a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he thought about <laughs> you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know, the first Mark 11s were delivered with a carbon fiber That's round hound right. guard. So As that'll were give you, the SR25. So right? that'll give you some idea when it happened, um, and no, actually there was a customer, and um, uh, the first rails were actually made on a lathe, so they were turned, um, and all the accessories. So it wasn't quite perfectly a 1913. This type of rail, um, it was a, uh, and the gun that we built, the first guns that we built were heavily modified. It wouldn't just drop in, um, and. Um, this is, uh, basically, this is kind of a weird story. Um, but they wanted an attachment method for these accessories and we had a solution to that. But at the end of the day, they had a gun that was non-compliant with their own requirement. The double heat shield handguard that they had on the gun would actually cause a cook off. So they had a gun that they bought that was non-compliant. So they needed a solution for that. Because they had a gun that didn't meet their own requirement. I didn't know this. No. And uh, the rail system um, cooled a, uh, a thermal issue that they had with the M4. Um, and so they kind of had to buy it, honestly. Um,
1: That's so awesome. I didn't know that. And they yeah. have one of those M4s with the double heat shield handguard.
2: Yeah, the big, thick uh, plastic one. So, yeah, that was a bad idea. You know what I mean? Um, and um, I will say the, the Riz is where it started, which was a, a, a special forces. Um, it was not... Uh, um you know the raz was basically there a go. big army program um and the riz was a, a more um you know a smaller group um and it, it is a difference um free float non-free float no they're both uh they're both they're both non-free float but what's the difference um the basic difference is one clamped to the back and one by one clamped at the front so oh. i remember Going through the problem with Doug Olson and
1: I did all the actual testing. So Doug Olson was a longtime engineer at night. So and
2: if you wanna like if everyone says, Oh man, I would love to shoot guns, that'd be so fun. Yeah. Go roll out roll out with a hundred and seventy thousand round test, dude. Mm-hmm. See how much you want see how much gun you want to shoot after yeah. you shoot a hundred and seventy thousand rounds, okay? okay. <laughs> so we determined that the issue was basically that the barrel and the rail were had a temperatural shrinkage difference to where it had to be free floated at one end so the first one was clamped at the front and we came up with a I had this one design it was like a coil spring and whatever and Doug came up with the leaf spring mechanism to basically free float the front end but still be locked in up there and clamp at the rear the riz was clamped in the front so that was the whole thing that solved uh I think the requirement was like they all come back to that, like two point five minute, which is about what M eight is, M eight five five is, of difference in alignment so like accuracy. Yeah, to put a, a laser up on the front of the rail mm-hmm. to where it would still co-align with the accuracy of the gun. And well, what, I want to back up one second. That wasn't easy to do, and, well, and there are about every rail that's out there that will not meet that requirement today. That are free float rails, wow. and I will tell you that. Facts.
1: That, that is interesting the way. You talk about it because I mean that goes to silencers too, and it's like the M4QD or the NT4, whatever it's called now, and the original requirement. And you know, you build something to a requirement, and what is that requirement now? But when you said cook off with the double heat shield handguard, what Uh, that really means two hundred and
2: seventy rounds. 270 rounds at one round per second. Something, I, I, I can't quote it right now. but it's Yeah, but, but
1: what, I, what I was trying to say is that there was a pre-existing requirement for cook-off. Yeah. And they put this handguards on there, and then all of a sudden the guns that would meet that requirement no longer met the requirement. Yeah, yeah so they mm-hmm. kind of proper fucked themselves.
2: Yeah, and I think that it was seven magazines, 30-round magazines, one round per second is what comes to mind. Yeah. Um, maybe 210 rounds whatever I can't R- you know how I am with numbers <laughs> so it's, it's pretty close <laughs> well that's bad. the right if you do look actually. it up you, it's going to be pretty close to that I'm sure well, you're I don't gonna know
1: about the requirement but your yeah. numbers were correct
2: mm-hmm. um yeah so the rail but the rail, the, th- the, f- the crazy thing about the rail right um and there were two competing companies um And we had we already we already had systems in in place with govern you know, with with groups.
1: What was arms? The other company? Yeah. And
2: so Dick Swan um, arms was the other company with a competing company. And it became a big deal. It all became a a big army requirement. Okay, it wasn't just special forces. It wasn't just two thousand, three thousand, ten thousand. It was a million. Okay, so whenever you put out like that kind of money, everybody shows up to the party. Right. So this is a great story and I'll fucking tell it right here. Um, we had a couple employees. Um, some of them, some of our viewers may know well, um, Eric Kensel and um, and uh, Tony Marfione, which worked for us at the time period.
1: Yeah. So, so Microtech Knives and uh, wh- what was Kensel's company?
2: Uh, it wasn't his company, but he worked for um, uh, Veltor. Veltor, yeah. Um, and they were both employees of Knights and. They both left the company with a with a a package full of drawings and went to FN and basically tried to market and steal that technology and and steal it and FN was basically hiring them to steal our technology and and win and steal that whole contract that whole contract from us <coughs> at that time period so we were this close can imagine have, what has what that rail contract been worth to Knight's Army? I mean it is knight's Armor company you figure one million rails at at two hundred three hundred dollars a piece do the math you know
1: what I mean 203 <laughs> <or more. laughs> Damn,
0: quick maths
2: yeah that's hundreds insane. of
1: millions of dollars and, and that was even more money 25
2: yeah. years but ago. the fact okay. that like two dudes could decide that they that they were enough of a part of it to walk out the door with a package full of drawings and then and then have a company as big as fn come in and say oh we'll buy it from you you know <clears throat> mm. yeah
0: yeah that's crazy just on the fn side to be like yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, who yeah. knows
2: what they knew at the beginning? Yeah, about. they could have been fed or whatever. You know, I think. yeah. And and honestly, like, you know, Colt FN. I don't HK. I don't care who it is. It's like we've always. I don't even smaller companies than us. It's like we've always maintained a very. I feel like fair relationship with these types of companies. And you think it's one thing to do it in the small arms world? Well, try to do it in the night vision world, dude. You're talking about multi billion trillion dollar companies that could buy you and like freaking throw you away just and not even notice it you know what i mean so being able to do business with companies bigger than you um that's a that's that's a thing
1: you know what i mean um yeah i mean your dad's obviously always been a clever guy and somebody you don't want to be in a bar fight with <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah um i think that comes down to like integrity yeah, at the end of the day, it's in that's about integrity. It's like yeah, doing what you say you're going to do. Because yeah.
1: even after that, you guys have worked with FN, right? Oh yeah, still do. I mm-hmm. mean, um, and Col- and whatever the new Colt is, you know, whatever. whatever. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe at FN and Colt, there's been eight people in charge since yeah. this happened. Yeah, yeah,
2: but um, yeah, we could have lost the real you know, thing. And, and honestly, Dick Swan was was probably the closest. Um, You know, competitor was the the furthest along with his concepts, but what everyone didn't understand was, I want to put this on an M four. I do not want to modify the M four, and I wanted to have this much alignment through a heat cycle, and that is not freaking easy to do. It looks simple. It looks like just you know whatever, but that was a very, you know, that was a, you know, half a million dollar, uh, you know, test cycle to figure that out. You know what I mean? Um,
1: Yeah, I think the test and luck. Yeah, well, yeah. And luck. But y- you know how it is with luck. Uh, the more you try, the luckier you get. And, you know, and the more you're willing to work through problems. Um, yeah, the the testing, I think, is lacking now. We think, think about things. I mean, even now with the AR market commercially as big as it is, where when you and I were kids, there's three companies that make AR-15s. Well, I mean, think about how many companies all right let, let's not even talk
2: about the fact that like Glock and, and HK had to adopt this rail okay okay yeah. and that changed the entire laser aftermarket everything accessory let me explain something to you when you came into my gun store when I was 12 years old and you wanted a scope for your gun I had a giant box of taco box of stuff and I had to find this mount this thing, this thing. If I didn't have it for your gun, well, we'll have to order it. It'll be here. I'll order it from Brown. I'll order it from whatever. Order it from Leopold. Everything was specific. Okay. So this, this thing, this rail system, probably changed the gun industry more than any th- any contribution I don't done th- to the gun industry. I'm gonna. I, I'll sit here and say this in the well, last 50 years. In the last 20 years,
1: was well, that the thing uh, you guys are most proud of?
2: Um, the rail system, I think it's probably the most the biggest money maker. I think it potentially could be the most prolific um has it made the biggest difference? Maybe it's just such a simple idea. It's not like you want to be proud of oh i invid- <laughs> <laughs> I, I invented the self flushing toilet you know? <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say i mean i i am I mean first of all, I didn't do it, you know what I mean, so yeah. but as far as a company, yeah, I'm super proud of that, Yeah. You know
1: what I mean? You think that's the way your dad feels? Your brother? I think he's pretty proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make one million of something, and who knows mm. how many you guys have made well, now? But
2: I cool. mean, well, okay. Guess what it led to? What? It, it led to this inline surface that you could mount night vision devices to. Oh, and
1: you guys happen to then have a night vision company now, and inline. I'm saying thermal. that. This
2: the idea that we had a rail up here is what led to the whole idea of an inline night vision device. So uh, my dad invented, whether you call it clip on or whatever, that was his concept because he invented this place to put it. And it was like, well, let's just put it up here because we were mounting night vision devices to the top of other devices and it was hard. Yeah. Um, you think? you think guns are hard? <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, guns are. So N- not that hard.
1: <laughs> um, well, you guys, yeah, cuz how long have you guys had a uh, it, cuz it's night vision and thermal, right? So what do you call it? Um night night vision is the is the name of the company. It's, it's you know, it's basically
2: everything's night. <laughs> <laughs> night Rider or <laughs> Night Vision. <laughs> see our nightgown collection. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: um what
2: uh <laughs> So that it sounds simple, dude, but um it's not, you know what I mean? Anything with optics, anytime you have two things you're trying to put in front of each other and have them have optical alignment, it's complicated. Um, and it was one of those things where you basically came to the table and said, well, this seems easy. And they're like, no, it's not. And, um, you know, we had a company we were working at the time and he, we basically paid for the design and, and funded everything out of pocket, not from a government program. And then started to get contracts on a PVS 24, um, and the company that, and what, what was the PBS
1: 24 that said, it was the vision and all. Yeah.
2: It's a I uh, I squared, um, the predecessor to the PBS 30 and, um, we were working with a company called OSTI and I'll go ahead and say the na- guy's name cause he's dead. But Paul Maxim, um, I remember sitting in there in, in my dad's factory, sitting there yelling at my dad, telling him he was a freaking dumb redneck and he had no business getting in this business and telling basically to fuck off. And I was like, man, I've never heard nobody talk to my dad like that before. Yeah, <laughs> I felt like I was the sassiest
1: person to your dad till I heard that story.
2: I was like, wow, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, so basically telling my dad, I'm building this for you, and fuck you, you can't build this.
1: And Oh, so, of course, that's what led to not him starting it. his own company to build it. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. Y- y- I've known your dad a long time. Yeah. You know, like I originally met your dad at Knob Creek in the probably mid-90s, and I purchased an AR-10 mm-hmm. uh, machine gun, and it had a original, and it, and it had a broken stock. And I knew that he had a lot of parts, and I went up to him at Knob Creek, and he was always wearing his suit. Hmm. And I was like, Mr. Knight, um, so I purchased an AR-10, and stock's broken, and I know that you've got AR-10 parts. I was wondering if you could help me. And he's like, sure, good, okay. We're in Knob Creek, and he's like, when we get back home, you just, you know, I don't know what he said at the time. There was no email, so, like, call me or yeah. whatever. And Call I'll my secretary. And I'll, I'll look through the parts yeah. and get you a stock, and he did. He, he got me it, a yeah. stock. Yeah. That's
2: funny you say the suit. So <laughs> I remember yeah. everyone telling me, like, before I was on the scene with Knights and when he would do demos, and Every pitcher, he's wearing a suit. And my dad would be out there and freaking just jump in the freaking. Because my dad is a badass shot, dude. Yeah. Like, well, he yeah, shot competitively. That's what he was yeah, You do not want to, like, you do not want to freaking. I remember we'd have, like, uh, you know, family Christmas, you know, shoots, and I'd be like, "Come on, Dad, I'm ready to finally kick your ass." I'm like, "God damn it, maybe next year." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, but they said that he would just be doing whatever demo and freaking jump down in the dirt and freaking jump up, and you know, in his in his suit, which he yeah.
1: probably bought it like. <laughs> Whatever J.C. Penney, <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever it was before yeah, Walmart, yeah, J.C. Penney, <laughs> um, yeah. But he did, and you know, and ever since then, your dad and I always had a relationship, and he was always so good to me because you know I'd heard like he was kind of a hard ass, and so I was like nervous. I remember because I was probably like twenty years old. I, I probably wasn't even twenty one because I started buying machine guns when I was nineteen and I kept it on a guy's license, and uh and you know those parts were so scarce and the guns were. And, yeah, and I
2: probably just cared that you cared, honestly, and that you were buying it to keep because you cared about it, not just another dude buying it to flip it. Yeah, you know no, I mean? no, it was a personal gun. Yeah,
1: and um, yeah, and he he was so good to me, and so then ever since then, I tried not to abuse it, but you know, because I I met your dad and I was friendly with him before you and I even met. Yeah. And yep. because I was so interested in machine guns and he had the Stoner 63s, all the stuff. And it was interesting to me. And I'm reading Small Arms of the World at home before you could Google stuff. And and I was fascinated by it. I knew he had a collection and I would see him twice a year at Knob Creek. And uh, I would always try to talk to him and Bob Landis and Kent Lamont and people who actually had knowledge and had shotguns and had guns.
2: I remember going there <laughs> with Stoner 63s, right? <clears throat> at like $9,000. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when they Nine, were like $9,000 $9, for Stoner 63. Yeah. And they're like, whoa. And they went up to $12,000. And you're like, yeah. whoa. Every still now s- creek, s- yeah, they would yeah, go up. Still yeah. selling them. Still selling them, you know. Now mm-hmm. what do they go for, One, one twenty or whatever? I have no <laughs> idea. I refuse to look
1: <laughs> because, you know, I've got one and I love shooting it. So I don't take it out when... The homies go shooting now because, you know, it's worth a lot and ammo is expensive. But it's still like it, it's it's in my safe here with my other guns that are my shooter guns because it's like my favorite. gun. Yeah, to it's shoot. actually the
2: only machine gun I've ever transferred to, you know, that it's I own from from
1: Real Yeah. But it makes sense because if you ever have a chance to shoot one, yeah. Two forty nine. That's cool. Then the give like all the other ones. But the stoner is like something that's ergonomic, like an AR-15, and it's full auto, and it's so fun. I don't don't
2: think you were there at those Knob Creeks, but there were Knob Creeks where we would go there with LMGs, and I would bring my personal stoner 63, and we would burn down 4,000 to 5,000, 6,000 rounds in that
1: 30-minute situation. I probably was. I don't know. I went for like 20 years, but... Yeah. We were out on the range. At I a, never would oh wait, on the range? I was on the range. Are we going to talk about
2: so Jonathan scared. Arthur Sr.? Right oh, now? my Lord. That crazy <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> so, we were on Jonathan Arthur Sr.'s spot at the range, which he always had a spot. And yeah. that's always whose booth we were in. If you saw my dad, he was in Jonathan Arthur Sr.'s spot.
3: Which
1: yeah, because he's in Florida on the road. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. He's, he's like one of, one of the dudes, one of the original dudes my dad's met,
1: you know. But. Yeah. Where all the tags he keep on his hat from all the one like he had like fifty tags, dude.
2: This would be a whole a whole another episode if we were to talk such about such a
1: crazy <laughs> bastard. So I still so, talk so to back him. He's years, good dude. Oh, he, he's yeah. not in prison right He's not. So he um, he's mellowed out a lot. He's a good <sighs> dude. He he did was famous back twenty years ago for twenty two conversion kits. Oh, but he's, he's the first guy which copied Max's.
2: He copied. Well, it. He licensed. He it, licensed actually. it. Yeah, that, yeah. I'm impressed. I would. Yeah. I'm surprised. I thought he would have copied he the
1: shit out But of it. you know, Max is like your dad. Max was like a you know a, a, a hardcore. Wasn't going to take shit. He would have killed senior for stealing it. Um, mm-hmm. And God rest Max's soul. What a cool dude. But he taught me so much. So you said he hated my dad? Who? Max. Max? Yeah. I said that. Yeah. I don't remember why. But if I said it, he probably did. Mm-hmm. That. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't About know his he's collection.
2: Said. He's like, he can't have any. If, when I die, make sure he ne- doesn't get any of this shit. Oh,
1: there was something. He felt like your dad fucked him over on something. Yeah. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, he told me that when he was dying. God, yeah. That was like 20-something years ago. Yeah, oh, I know. Fuck.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't forget shit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, it was. There was a couple people that he thought had fucked him over. and Yeah, he was dying. He told me, you make sure... That, that Reed exactly. doesn't get any of my shit. Because there was something that your dad wanted in his collection. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't even remember what it was. Honestly,
2: man. I feel like that with, um, like, Dixon would call me, like, when he was in the middle of some kind of a lawsuit or something, you know, and like, the fact that we had, he had my cell phone and would just pick up the phone and call me, and it's like, I always felt that there were these people, because it's like, we always talk about opportunity, time, money,
1: whatever, whatever, you know, linked up where. And you see it when you're successful. Yeah. You stole everything from everyone else. I mean, that—that's well. That. I'm
2: successful, and I still think people stole a lot of <laughs> shit. From me, dude, dude. But
1: yeah, but you know, you know what I'm saying, especially now with the internet. Yeah, you, you know, but it—it it is a thing because you're right. I mean, there's—that's to me has been the brilliance of your father over a lot of good guys. Like Max Atchison was a very honest and simple guy. He was a terrible businessman, and right. he was a brilliant designer oh senior could have been so much
2: more successful but so
1: hard-headed or whatever the nuances are they time time or they're just unwilling to be flexible in a way that allows them to take the opera you know the advantage of the opportunity we keep talking
2: about that whole designer um business person
1: dynamic yeah i mean and, and that to me is one thing you know over the years meeting your dad getting to know him knowing your family It is hard to say like your dad's not an educated guy. He's a brilliant guy. And not only like Max with gun design, that is where Max was brilliant. He didn't know anything else in life, you know, and your dad, whether it is his childhood, his experiences or whatever, he was just well-rounded. Like your dad understands business. He understands money. He understands design. He understands like a lot of things where maybe he's not the best at any one thing, but he's got he's this whole good at marketing. <laughs> marketing. Yeah, yeah he is. I don't think he's that good. At that. I think he's so bad. I think it's like he's anti-marketing. Oh but man! I, but that's maybe a different thing. But I think um, different time period. He, he's just well-rounded. I mean, you think about Stoner. Stoner. That family you should Stoner be. Stoner was really
2: good at marketing, dude. You should have seen all their stuff from like Cadillac Ages.
1: But like. whether it's business or whatever it is, there was some flaw to where he couldn't, and it could have been all time timing that he was born at the Probably wrong fucking time. Timing. But. That should be the wealthiest family in America. He should be the original Glock, uh, like Gaston Glock. He, he, like he, he, he was he was successful. Well, yeah, I mean you he know. was, but he he's not like Gaston Glock. He, he, I mean he didn't achieve that sort of financial success.
2: Uh, all right, I'm gonna. I'm I gonna, mean he was wealthy. Had a compound
1: helicopters I'm, I'm, and stuff. I, I,
2: yeah, freaking jets, bro.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, I, I'm gonna tell you. All right,
1: to compare those two.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If we're going to bring up.
1: And you, and you think Glock is one design and look at what Stoner did, what Browning. That, that's did. what I'm trying right. to
2: say is that's a business element of I'm going to do one thing and do it really, really good mm-hmm. and finish it where Stoner just wanted to do something and move on to the next thing. And that's what, like, the designer idea is. Is I just want to get the design out of me and then move on Well, to the it's next the thing.
1: creative thing. It's part of why, like, you can't pay attention for long or anything else. It's like there's so many things going on and you want to do so many things. It's hard. Yeah, I, I mean. Can. It's a personality. Like, Gaston Glock probably would have been, had he not done that, he'd probably be a CPA. Glock yeah, it's it. an
2: interesting story. Um, it's very similar to the Kleshnikov story, actually. Yeah. Um, And it's about. His uh, Glock's story was there's X number of parts in a firearm or in a pistol, and I want to reduce that number of parts by X percentage, right? Which is, is saves is your money. It goes back to the whole, like, fire mechanism. If I can reduce the number of steps, if I can reduce the number of the parts, it, it's by math going to make it more reliable. Um, and and that's cheaper. And that's the same thing that they did, you know, with the Kleshnikov. When um, I was in Russia, they told the story about the guy that basically – he got parts out of the out of the trash <clears throat> and put together a gun before you could have a gun, you know. Right. So he went around to the trash bins from different departments and put a gun together in in Russia. And it so would talking about like in a gun factory, yeah, and yeah. yeah. And this, and, and mind you, this is prior to nineteen freaking you know, forty-seven, 47 right? Yeah. And he finally got a a heat treated receiver. Um, that was the one part that was flawed that he couldn't get. So he went and got a heat treated receiver mm-hmm. and he would drag this gun around. And but they you can imagine having a whole government behind getting a gun right, mm-hmm. right? Um and r- Russia's idea of it's so different cuz we have like, you know, you have companies or whatever. And in the United States it used to be just one company, Springfield Armory, that would be the gun company, right? But in Russia they would take upwards of three different factories and then seven different design communities within that factory to compete, this decides who has the best of the design. And once that one design won, everyone in that entire factory would concentrate on that design. So you're talking about thousands of people working on one freaking design. And they said there were like 40 parts in this gun that would break until they figured out no parts break in this gun. Mm. You know what I mean? but having that amount of horsepower about getting a gun right, you know what I mean? You know, and it's like, you look at this gun, you know what I mean? And, you know, it's like, you think about what this gun, you know, whatever an M16, we don't have one here, but cost to make or the design of it or whatever, reliability issues, um, caliber issues or whatever. Um, I think what it really comes down to the difference between the two of them was the um, adaptability to the, to the sights and the f- and straight up accuracy. You know what I mean? So this gun is never in this configuration is never going to be more than a three minute or four minute gun. You know what I mean, because
1: the because of the mechanism and the recoil. Well, uh, how much? Uh, yeah. H- well, uh, then what are the benefits? How much cheaper is this going to produce? <laughs> <you assume>? <laughs> 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 it's we're talking with about uh, what kind percent. of labor?
2: When in what country well, is I the mean labor? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it is a thing. Like receivers trying to trying to explain to my son, you know, I was so upset when Notre Dame started like burning a few years ago because you're a big church guy. Yeah, and I was like, well, you know, son, the thing is, you can't do stuff like that anymore because you don't have slaves. And you know, a communist country, it's kind of the, it's mm. not too far All different. Right. Like, he- so this gun is ten percent the cost of a cheap M4 to make.
2: I, I like when you talk about like Russia as a compared to the United States, I'm just going to give you one story because this would be like 10 podcasts. OK, yeah. like, I've been to Russia twice as a guest of of Kleshnikov with my dad, which you talk about like lucky things that I've got to do. Yeah. Right? It's like uh, it's pretty cool. Hung out with Gene Stoner, Freaking went to Russia as a guest of freaking of Kleshnikov, hung out with him, you know, what I mean, and they tell the story where there was an uprising And, well, there's there's two stories, okay? And one is um, when Napoleon was going to frickin' move and frickin' invade frickin' Moscow, and the gun factory was in Moscow, the gun factory, they loaded it up on semi-trucks, right? In the middle of the winter, okay? And moved the entire gun factory to frickin' Siberia, (laughs) okay? And they set the gun factory up in Siberia with no buildings, and kept making guns. Half the people died on the train ride there. Right. The rest died once they set the, f- set the factory up. They brought in new people once they built They're the buildings running. around the machines that they were still running. Okay. Dedication. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was say, if there's so, that's so, 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 you think that, like, you know, and and I, I'm not I'm not discrediting like the United States. Work ethic and contribution to the war, whatever. But it's not on that level. Okay. Well, has there
0: ever been like a state-sponsored production or development? Yeah, it was um, called a.
2: Uh, I said that it was. Um, it was. Um, Springfield. Springfield? Yeah, yeah, Springfield was um, and they made a bunch of shit. Um, <laughs> fucked up a <laughs> bunch of shit, but uh, because there was one. Right. It com- keeps coming back to that competition within an organization. So here's the other one, and uh, and I'll drop the Russian fucking thing. Um, so they had an uprising one time, and a group got a bunch of guns, you know what I mean? And they keep the guns in the ammo factory about, I don't know, three 400 miles apart. And they marched with the guns 300 miles to the ammo factory. With, that's what this is for. You were asking what this is for, this bayonet? It's for if you don't have ammo. So they marched 400 miles to the ammo factory to get ammo to have an uprising, so dedication
1: dedication yeah. <laughs> next level jesus yeah. <laughs> not to That's get depressing core, yeah man. i'm just well. uh, uh, it's not depressing i'm just looking at jay thinking what a pussy <laughs> <laughs>